0: Let me just mention to everybody on the recording, it's Thursday, April the 9th, People's School for marxist leninist Studies, and we're going to be doing Lenin's Left-Wing Communism and Infantile Disorder. Go ahead, comrade.
1: It is with the utmost content and utmost levity that the German, quote, left, unquote, communists replied to this question in the negative. Their arguments, in the passage quoted above, we read, quote, All reversion to parliamentary forms of struggle which have become historically and politically obsolete must be emphatically rejected. This is said with ridiculous pretentiousness and is patently wrong. Quote reversion to parliamentarianism forsooth. Perhaps there is already a Soviet republic in Germany. It does not look like it. How then can one speak of quote? Reversion, unquote. Is this not an empty phrase? Parliamentarianism has become, quote, historically obsolete, end quote. That is true in the propaganda sense. However, everybody knows that this is still a far cry from overcoming it in practice. Capitalism could have been declared and with full justice to be, quote, historically obsolete, end quote, many decades ago. But that does not at all remove the need for a very long and very persistent struggle on the basis of capitalism. Parliamentarianism is, quote, historically obsolete, unquote, from the standpoint of world history, i.e., the era of bourgeois parliamentarianism is over and the era of the proletarian dictatorship has begun. That is uncontestable. The world history is counted in decades. Ten or twenty years earlier or later makes no difference when measured with the yardstick of world history. From the standpoint of world history, it is a trifle that cannot be considered even approximately. But for that very reason, it is a glaring theoretical error to apply the yardstick of world history to practical politics. Is parliamentarianism, quote, politically obsolete, unquote? That is quite a different matter. If that were true, the position of the, quote, lefts, unquote, would be a strong one. But it has to be proved by a most searching analysis. And the, quote, lefts, unquote, do not even know how to approach the matter. In the, quote, thesis on parliamentarianism, unquote, published in the Bulletin of the Provisional Bureau in Amsterdam of the Communist International, number 1, February 1920, and obviously expressing the Dutch left or left-Dutch strivings. The analysis, as we shall see, is also hopelessly poor.
0: Okay, thank you. We'll stop right there. And I'm just going to translate what this long paragraph, what Lenin is saying, in two sentences. There are those in the left movement today, anarchists, and others. Even some people in the left itself who say, let's not waste time with elections. It's a waste of time. Don't get involved with the bourgeois parliaments in our countries. Well, Lenin is attacking that idea. He's saying it's ridiculous. And he's deliberately talking to the groups in Germany which were called left communists. What he's saying here is that, like the book called the Bolsheviks and the Tsarist Duma by Badeyev, it says that we have to. We have no choice. We have to get involved with parliamentarianism. And the reason is not to win elections. The reason is to use it as a platform. When everybody in the society is listening to those running for office, we use it as a way to explain how Bolsheviks look at the issue about capitalism and how we should replace capitalism with socialism. So we use it. As a platform. Now, are there any comments on what was just read?
2: The CPUSA used to run
0: candidates. Why isn't uh, we running a candidate president for the Good president? question. Answer. When the CP ran a candidate, they had 25,000 members. They had an apparatus. They had, I would say at that time, they probably had what they have now, $10 million in the treasury. They could have done it. We started in 2012, I want everyone to know this, as a pre-party formation. At 2015, we became a party. 2016, our first Congress. So we're nowhere near where they were then.
3: Just a statement. I think that this was written over 100 years ago, actually 101 years ago, but it is still relevant. This is what we need to do in our country, Has mentioned, is to run people. And not necessarily for president, but when he says parliament, what I wanted to do was translate, because this is written for Europeans. They call it parliament. But over here, it's Congress. We would like to have people in Congress eventually. Not that we're going to change the system, but it's to get our message out. And then the final point, just to sum it up, for example, in Greece, they have their party. Their party is big. They get like 230,000 votes, 300,000 votes. They have multiple parliament members. And I just want to mention that one, a female, I forget her name, she got slapped on TV. So I just want to mention that. We will get to this point and it's ultra-left point to attack participating in Congress.
2: To give people an example of what
1: Antoy was talking about is that if you look at either the Tea Party historically or the Bernie Sanders campaign, you can have a politician or a faction that really spreads an idea within the populace, even if they lose an election.
0: Because in both
1: cases, the Tea Party caused a wave of Republicans to identify as libertarians, and Bernie Sanders spreads a kind of consciousness about universal
0: health care, even if he's wrong about basically everything.
2: That's all I wanted to say.
0: Thank you. Besides uh, participating in elections,
1: serving the function as a platform for spreading our ideas, I thought there was another function of trying to help the worker get as many changes as possible in this time period before socialism. Isn't that also a purpose for participating in elections?
2: The answer to your question is yes. The short answer is yes. That's what we do. We fight for reforms. That's why we fight for legislation and things that are oriented for workers. Social Security is the best example I know of. Maintaining the VA health system as a public health system is another. There's hundreds of examples where the working class is better off, even though we don't have socialism, they're better off than they were before the party came into existence.
1: So my question is, I like to research a lot about other Marxist-Leninist parties around the world, and so mostly in Europe and even some parts of Asia, they're successful either in creating a mass movement, or in the electoral sphere, or getting elected in general, I wanted to say was since we're not financially as secure as the CPUSA was in its hated, is it possible we could aim towards more local elements of the electoral system, maybe city councils? Exactly. Um, That's
0: it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You're correct. That's your answer is yes. We should start with school boards. We should oh, start yeah. with school boards. We could start with city councils, school boards door catcher, whatever they do locally. I think when Lenin talks about working in the parliaments of his country, maybe he had in mind the combination of legal and illegal forms of struggle. And I can only appreciate his position from a tactical standpoint of exposing the communist, the Bolshevik party's platform vis-a-vis all other political forces or parties in Russia. So I think it can be appreciated from a vantage point of agitation and propaganda to educate the masses. That is how I say it. Is that how he put it? Yes, that's correct. There are two forms of struggle. Those inside the parliament and those outside the parliament. Outside the parliament, they mean street action, street mass mobilizations. That's outside the parliament. So we should be using all the means that we can at our disposal.
2: One of the Street protests or strikes. In those days, strikes were illegal. And we're getting to a point in this era where strikes are becoming illegal again. In many parts of the U.S., strikes are still illegal. Amongst federal employees and others, public workers. So that's important. That was an illegal form of struggle.
0: Okay, getting back to the text. On page 32 at the bottom, he talks about the German left. Now, I want you to understand that the party in Germany always had splits, not factions, because they don't allow factions in a Leninist party, but there were splits in different views. There was uh, in the parliament, which was called the Reichstag in Germany, during the period 1932, in that parliament in 1933, that period, the Nazis won. And one of the German communist MPs, member of the parliament, said, it's all right, Hitler got in this time. He said, the worse things get for the people, the better it is for us. And then he said, after Hitler, in the next elections, it'll be us. That was the slogan that he made famous in history. After Hitler, us. Well, of course, history showed quite differently that once the Nazis came in, they destroyed any semblance of civil liberties. Everything was banned immediately with the laws that were passed, the Empowering Act in Germany. So that position that says the worse things get, the better it is for us. Many of us must have heard that same talk among people in the left in our lifetime that let things get bad. I know one so-called communist told me Let Trump get in. I'm supporting Trump. And the reason he gave is that things will get so bad that people will then come to us. Now, that's a person who should have known better.
2: The tactic of when things get worse, that's better for us is the Trotskyite tactic. That was their favorite tactic. That's what they believe. They believe that things should get worse for the working class in order for the working class to rebel.
0: Thank you. By the way, adding to that, a Maoist ex-friend of mine had the same opinion. Let things get bad because it is an acceleration way of working. And so it's not just the Trotskyites. It's basically the ultra-left that have no connections with the working class.
2: In a way, this German comrade was right. But the issue with how he was right is it's like a monkey's pile way
1: of being right. Yes, the communists did win after the fascists. After a brutal war, millions upon millions dead. The terrible conditions they all faced. Berlin was destroyed. Absolutely destroyed. Everything was destroyed.
0: And the Red Army came in, and they set up the German Democratic Republic. So, historically, he was correct, but at the time he said it, the member of the MP from the Reichstag, the German communist, was not talking, he had no idea what was going to happen with the war coming or anything like that. But yes, you're correct, Kermit. Okay. In the first place, contrary to the opinion of such outstanding political leaders like Rosa Luxemburg, Karl Liebknecht, the German quote-unquote lefts, as we know, considered parliamentaryism, quote, politically obsolete. Even in January 1919, and that's important, January 1919, We know that the so-called lefts were mistaken. This fact alone utterly destroys in one single stroke the proposition that the lefts had that parliamentarianism is, quote, politically obsolete. It is for the, quote, lefts to prove why, why that their error that was indisputable at the time is no longer an error. They do not and cannot produce not one shred of evidence A political party's attitude towards their own mistakes, this is important, a political party's attitude towards their own mistakes is one of the most important and surest ways of judging how a party is and how it fulfills its obligations towards its class and the working people in general. So what Lenin is talking about here is criticism and self-criticism. A party has to be able to look at its mistakes and criticize it and find out a way to correct that. That's what Lenin is talking about there. Analyzing the conditions that have led up to those mistakes and trashing out the means of its own rectification. That is the hallmark of a serious party. That is how a party should perform its duties. And it's how it should educate and train its class. And then the masses. By failing to fulfill this utmost duty of criticism and self-criticism and give the utmost attention and consideration to the study of their era, the so-called lefts in Germany and in Holland at the time proved that they are not a party of a class, but in reality a party of a circle. Not a party of masses of people, but in reality a group of intellectuals and of very few workers who try to ape the worst features of intellectualism. And look around you today, comrades, look around you today, and those groups and individuals in the left, whether on the Internet or off, who are always pitting themselves against working-class parties, especially the Communist Party. Just notice it. They're all intellectuals. They're all hyped up with their own so-called what they are, just notice that. Any questions on what I said?
3: What should the party's position towards intellectuals be, and how could the party, or is it even necessary for the party to sort of engage with the intelligence here?
0: I'll give you my experience. There are different types of intellectuals. Under socialism, you have a certain types of intellectual. That kind of intellectual, we can work with. They're building socialism in a socialist society. On the capitalism, my experience with intellectuals is that they're a roadblock. They are roadblock. They stop us from doing anything that has to do with the working class because they intellectualize. They become what we call armchair revolutionaries. That's my experience. Page 34, the bottom. The conclusion which follows from this
1: is absolutely incontrovertible. It has been proved that far from causing harm to the revolutionary proletariat, participation in a bourgeois democratic parliament, even a few weeks before the victory of a Soviet republic, and even after such a victory, actually helps that proletariat to prove to the backward masses why such parliaments deserve to be done away with. It facilitates their successful dissolution and helps to make bourgeois parliamentarianism, quote, politically obsolete, unquote. To ignore this experience, while at the same time claiming affiliation to the Communist International, which must work out its tactics internationally, not as narrow or exclusive national tactics, but as international tactics, means committing a gross error and actually abandoning internationalism indeed,
0: while recognizing it in word. Thank you. Let's stop right there. It's an important section that was mentioned by Lenin. Everyone should listen to this. Very important. He could only mean what he says. He said, while at the same time claiming affiliation to the communist international, which is a common term, that's what it was called, and the job is to work out our tactics internationally, not nationally, not as narrow or exclusively national tactics, but as part of an international tactic, That's a very important statement, very important statement, because it puts the spotlight on what it means to be a communist, that it means internationally we work together for a certain goal. Each section has to be part and agree with what the international agrees with so that we can work out this plan. This was not done after World War II. The Comintern was dissolved. In 1943, the war ended in 45. So from then on, we were working as individual parties, trying to talk to each other as Moscow as our center, but having it much more difficult because we didn't have the organizational structure and how we ran each other as the Comintern does. I think that's very important because this, to me, this is the beginning of problems we've had later on. In the international communist movement with different parties going their own way and not working together. Let's go to page 35.
1: We Bolsheviks participated in the most counter revolutionary parliaments, and experience has shown that this participation was not only useful but indispensable to the party of the revolutionary proletariat. After the first bourgeois revolution in Russia, 1905, So as to pave the way for the second bourgeois revolution of February 1917 and then for the socialist revolution of October 1917, in the second place, this sentence is amazingly illogical. If a parliament becomes an organ and a quote-unquote center, in reality, it never has been and never can be a quote-unquote center. But that is, by the way, of counter-revolution. While the workers are building up the instruments of their power in the form of the Soviets, then it follows that the workers must prepare ideologically, politically, and technically for the struggle of the Soviets against Parliament, for the dispersal of Parliament by the Soviets. But it does not at all follow that this dispersal is hindered or is not facilitated by the presence of a Soviet opposition within the counter-revolutionary Parliament. In the course of our victorious struggle against Denikin and Kolchak, we never found that the existence of a Soviet and proletarian opposition in their camp was immaterial to our victory. We know perfectly well that the dispersal of the Constituent Assembly on January 5th, 1918 was not hampered but was actually facilitated by the fact that within the counter-revolutionary Constituent Assembly which was about to be dispersed, there was a consistent Bolshevik as well as an inconsistent left-socialist revolutionary Soviet opposition. The authors of these are engaged in muddled thinking. They have forgotten the experience of many, if not all, revolutions, which shows the great usefulness during a revolution of a combination of mass action outside a reactionary parliament with an opposition sympathetic to, or better still, directly supporting, the revolution within it. The Dutch, and the quote, unquote, less, in general, argued in this respect, like doctrinaires of the revolution, who have never taken part in a real revolution, have never given thought to the history of revolution, or have naively mistaken subjective quote-unquote rejection of a reactionary institution for its actual destruction by the combined operations of a number of objective factors. The surest way of discrediting and damaging a new political, and not only political, idea is to reduce it to absurdity on the plea of defending it. For any truth, if quote unquote overdone, as Jaitian Sr. put it, if exaggerated, is carried beyond the limits of its actual applicability, can be reduced to an absurdity, and is even bound to become an absurdity under these conditions. That is just the kind of disservice the Dutch and German lefts are rendering to the new truth of the Soviet form of government being superior to bourgeois democratic parliaments. Of course, anyone would be in error who voiced the outmoded viewpoint or in general considered it impermissible in all and any circumstances to reject participation in bourgeois parliaments. I cannot attempt here to formulate the conditions under which a boycott is useful, since the object of this pamphlet is far more modest, namely to study Russian experience in connection with certain topical questions of international communist tactics. Russian experience has provided us with one successful and correct instance. 1905 and another that was incorrect 1906 of the use of a boycott by the bolsheviks analyzing the first case we see we succeeded in preventing a reactionary government from convening a reactionary parliament in a situation in which extra parliamentary revolutionary mass action strike in particular was developing at great speed when not a single section of the proletariat and the peasantry could support the reactionary government in any way and when the revolutionary proletariat was gaining influence over the backward masses through the strike
0: struggle and through the agrarian movement. Let's stop right there, comrade. As comrade was reading this, and I saw the word constituent assembly, and I said, where did I hear that word within the last year or two? And guess what came to mind? Venezuela. Let's go back to see what happened in Venezuela. The parliament was controlled by the counter-revolutionaries. The government and the people set up a constituent assembly, very similar to what happened. And I'm wondering if Chavez and other forces, whoever was working with them, did not understand this historical situation and tried to compare it what happened in Venezuela as far as the struggle between the parliament and the constituent assembly. I want to mention the same theory Lenin applied for the trade unions. Reactionary trade unions. We should work inside them because that's where the working class is. Work inside them to change them. I'm going to open it up here.
2: What's our stance on voting for bourgeois candidates in our electoral system?
0: Okay, the answer to that is the party program. It's in the Constitution and the program. It's called the three-legged stool. You have a stool that you put your foot on to rest. It has three legs. The first leg is running candidates under the party name. That's the first one. If we can't do that for various reasons, we go to the second leg of the stool. The second leg of the stool is running coalition candidates with other groups that are outside the Democratic and Republican Party that are outside the bourgeois parties. That means we can run under the name MPD. We can run with an organization, and we've done this in New York, tenants' rights organization, unemployed organization. We ran a front called People Before Profits. I worked in that. We ran Jarvis Tiner as the governor of the state, and this guy, McDonald. He, he was ran. mayor of New York. He was mayor. Mayor of New York. Thank you, comrade. Thank you. You worked with me on that. That's right. It was mayor. So that's the second leg. The third leg is there are times, and this is what separates us from the ultras. There are times when someone's running under a major party, but their positions are different than the party itself. Their positions tend to support anti imperialist work or their positions are very pro-working class, anti-racist. By when they talk, you know who we're talking about. There was one guy, his name was Kucinich, in the past, Ed and I both worked on that campaign, and others did. In the Kucinich campaign, he was from Cleveland, Ohio, or something like that, and he had been the mayor. And he was involved with taking the electric company and putting it under the public, not like Con Edison, where it's private but actually having a nationalization of it. He called for a Department of Peace that would replace the War Department. So there are times, there are cases where we can work with someone. Whether or not it's good to officially endorse somebody I think is negative right now. The bourgeoisie would use that endorsement. Behind the scenes, we can work with that candidate. I hope I gave you the answer, comrades. In addition to exposing people to socialist politics,
1: I wanted to point out that elections are also a way to test leadership for the effectiveness and to train leadership to deal with complicated and intricate tasks of campaigning. That was mentioned at the end of this section, so I just wanted to point that out.
0: Yeah, thank you. That's very important. Right. Okay, thank you, comrades. Good night.